This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Good morning. Did everyone enjoy their Thanksgiving? Glad to hear. So, parable of the mustard seed. Um, mustard seeds are, in fact, really small. They're um, one to two millimeters, which is four hundredths of an inch to eight hundredths of an inch. Um, I guess the joke is that I would bring some to show you, but you wouldn't be able to see them. Um, mustard seeds grow to be a lot bigger than just mustard seeds. Mustard trees can grow to be as much as 30 feet tall with perfect conditions, uh, more typically being six to 10 feet tall. So that's from less than a tenth of an inch to over 300 inches. So there's a decent chance that you knew about the power of mustard seeds. But what you might not know is that the plant actually being referred to may not actually be what we consider to be the mustard plant. It may actually be Salvadora persica. Uh, It's a similar plant that's best known for its long-standing use as a natural toothbrush, actually, in many cultures. Uh, Its seeds are quite small, uh, about an eighth of an inch, yet it can still grow to be up to 25 feet tall. Uh, It's similar to a mustard uh, in in many ways, uh, but what I find interesting is that while mustard is generally cultivated, Salvador Persica actually is better known as growing in the desert on its own uh, without specific cultivation. Um, So it is actually more tolerant to heat and drought, and it actually has low susceptibility to diseases and pests. Uh, What's amazing about this plant is that all it has to offer once it is actually fully grown So its stems, its branches, its roots, its seeds, and its berries, plus the latex that grows on its trunk, actually all have medicinal value. Once it has grown, there is so much that it can do. We'll come back to this later. So again, to introduce myself, I'm Cole. Um, If I haven't had the chance to ever talk to you, among many things, I'm a senior uh, in high school at Ashland High School. Um, Dorita, thanks for doing the dirty work of having to explain my life a bit. Um, But... (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, And I've also had the opportunity to be involved uh, with Camp and Retreat Ministries. I'll also talk about that a little later. Um, So when Rashinda talked to me and told me that she was going to take some vacation and was like, oh, I'd love for you to speak, I was like, oh, no, it's got to be a lot of work. And it is. It is. I know that. But I I agree to this mostly because I I do have a hard time saying no, especially for good reasons. Um, No, this this isn't easy. But thankfully, I I do enjoy speaking, and I'm glad to be able to be here. so I was thinking about this this morning, and I realized that I think the best analogy is that of actually a puzzle. Because puzzles don't come made. They come in, what, 1,000 pieces, 3,000 pieces. So if we are to think about our lives and think about things that are really small that grow to become really big, I think a puzzle is a really good example. Because it takes specific ways of putting it together for it to actually work right. So to me, is part of what this parable means is that the smallest things can add up to be really, really big. And part of what these small things are to me are the interactions that we have on an everyday level. So on these small everyday interactions, it may seem to be really mundane or simple, 
that saying hi or saying hello or bye or how are you doing, these may seem like they're kind of meaningless or frivolous, but actually, added together, they become quite a large part of our lives. And actually, sociologists do have a term for this. It's called symbolic interactionism. We all have opportunities to grow, uh, to rather, to interact at a small scale throughout our lives. So starting in a nursery where we have other babies that are also screaming, in schools where we have other fellow students that are misbehaving. <laughs> Whatever it is, we take these opportunities to interact and use it to grow. So what these do is help us grow to have a larger view of what the world around us is and an understanding of what the world around us really is about and is like. So an example of this I had this past summer um, as part of my position uh, as a resident counselor with Camp Retreat Ministries, where I worked at three different camps uh, under our system, I had the opportunity to be a counselor for Camp Hope. It's a four-day camp for adults with developmental disabilities. So this camp is different for two main reasons. So first is that it's a population that I personally didn't really have much experience with or expertise around. But second, What's different than a typical camp as a counselor from that perspective is that I'm only assigned to one or two campers, giving me much more one-on-one -on -one time, an ability to kind of be on the same level and be able to work at the speed that really allows me to have a sense of what's happening in, in not just my head, but their head, and being able to bounce my thoughts and ideas off of that person and back to me. So the camper that I was assigned to was Mike. Mike's diagnosis is general developmental disabilities and autism. I know it's, it's pretty vague, but that is his official diagnosis. And what's important to note here is that this is a really good example of breaking past stereotypes. Many people with autism are typecast as being shy and not willing to talk and express themselves as much as humanly possible. But Mike is an example of someone who does just that. Something, I, something amazing that I was able to experience in my time with him was his ability to speak. Now, he rarely speaks full sentences. They're usually just a handful of words. But they're just these chunks. And it's not necessarily the most uh, descriptive chunks, but it works. He is undeterred. And he makes a point of greeting every single person that he meets with joy, pure joy. He is always asking, you OK? You OK? <laughs> and I can't tell you the amount of times I had to respond, yes, I'm good. Thank you. So many times. It, it was endless. So while his verbal ability may be limited, that ability to actually express himself isn't. It's still there. And he doesn't let anything get in the way of actually being able to express himself, even though his ability may be limited the power and the meaning is still there, and it still shines through. Our everyday interactions went beyond just his speaking. It included eating, sleeping, resting, dancing, singing, and yes, he even was able to beat me in basketball. <laughs> the coordination was there. He may be 45, but the dribbling and shooting is actually quite astute. <laughs> I know, really. I, I was a little shocked. Um, but 
I was really more ashamed that I, I did lose in 101. <laughs> so again, it's this most basic level of interactions, the sitting at the dining table and helping him chop his food, the helping him get ready for bed and brush his teeth, helping him use his shaver, singing with him on the porch. Again, it's this most simple level that's the most powerful. So again, what this idea is, is that this most basic level can actually be the most powerful level of education, the most powerful level of understanding. It's this idea that I was able to learn more in four days with him than I ever would have learned from a class or sitting in a classroom setting or talking with someone who doesn't necessarily have that background. The power there was that by actually getting to know him, I was able to truly understand what his life is like and not just have someone tell me or explain to me what it might be like to live with those types of disabilities. So this past week was Thanksgiving week. It's, of course, a time where we try to be thankful and appreciative of what we have. But to me, it's also a time to be cognizant of our shortcomings, where we fall short and what we would like to be able to do. So again, this isn't in a consumeristic sort of way, like, oh, we need to go out and buy things to make up for what we don't have. It's really about what we are not able to do. How are we falling short of what we are each individually called to do in faith? Or on a larger level, what does God want our world to be like, act like, look like? How should we treat each other? How should we be living our lives? This is where the idea of growth comes in. Growth allows us to inch closer to that ideal world. So what does it take to grow? In a literal sense, growth requires nourishment. Food and water, suitable living conditions, shelter, physical space to exist, sunlight for some vitamin D, especially up here, and air to breathe. But to grow in a spiritual sense is on top of all of these. That doesn't mean you can't grow spiritually without having all of your basic needs met. It can happen, but it's just more difficult. Growth spiritually, depending on who you ask, requires a variety of inputs, nurturing or community, maybe social contact, or if you ask James, the ability to humble yourself. So with water and with nourishment, a seed becomes a bush, and a bush becomes a tree. With water and nourishment, a person can become a vessel, and a vessel can become a spiritual being. So if we want our world, our country, our communities, and our families, to be able to grow on that spiritual level, we need to first be able to address those most basic needs that we all have. The need to be able to eat, to drink, to get that bread, that bread of life that helps us live on to the next day. We must all work toward addressing these basic needs that we don't quite yet have satisfied. If we want to be able to grow, all of us be able to grow on that spiritual level. 
So part of the beauty of me to parables is the universal appeal. They remind us that God's love is not just for the few, not just those who feel bold enough to label themselves as righteous, not just for those who meet any certain criteria. It's for all, everyone. So often we find ourselves in situations that are inaccessible to many. We use proprietary, ultra-specified languages that are able to communicate so much detail in so little words. George Herbert Mead, one of the brains behind the idea of symbolic interactionism, philosophized that as long as language used is clear and understandable, no one is too young to learn, and no one is incapable of learning. So going forward, I think it's important that we take time to evaluate not just what we say, but how we say things. Because the messages we send do hold power. And to evaluate not just how we operate as people, but why. To remember why we're called to act in certain ways. Remember why we feel the need to do certain things or abstain from others. And if we are to really achieve the spiritual growth we all say we yearn for, it's important that we also take time to focus on our basic needs. Because so many of us don't get the bread, don't get the shelter, don't get the water even, even here in our own country. Spiritual growth, physical growth, both require nourishment. It's important that we recognize that nourishment is both literal and non-literal. And the more we can recognize its dual value, the more we can move toward the world we all want.